Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And Amber, do you want to tell people what our theme this week is? Our theme is, God, what is our theme? We had a cute saying for the, because we're doing religious cases. We are. Or religious-based cases. Right. God, what's our, what's our saying? Bruh. God didn't tell you to do that. How did I How did I forget that? I requested bruh. I was just going to say, you're the one that made me say bruh. It's Thank weird you that you forget that. This brain of mine, I tell you. Get ready for one of our more tragic weeks, I yes. think. Yeah. Both cases, we, bo- we both have kid cases. Yep. So it's it's not hard for me to do these, but this case that I'm doing today, it is, I think, a really good example of what untreated mental health looks like. And so that's really why I picked it. You know, I don't like to go into things about kids. But yep. what happens, I think it really shows... The, the need, seriousness. The need for mental health treatment, yes. which is your field, my yes. dear. So, so yeah. it's not a surprise that I was, you know, drawn, drawn to this to case. All right. Who is it? Now, I am bringing you another Michigan case, and it wasn't Ooh. intentional. It okay. was just in my search. I found this, and it happened to be not far from us. It oh. was actually Muskegon around that area. Oh, okay. Or when I was listening to another podcast once about a Muskegon case, they called it Muskegon. I was like, oh, this is what it feels like. I love it. When a I podcaster's like, I have no idea. How to, Muskegon. Yep, Muskegon. Just so y'all know, it's Muskegon. But if you're not from here, we're not offended. We get it. As I'm looking at the spelling, I'm like, I get it. Yeah. It does look like Muskegon. Yeah, if you sound it out phonetically. And it sounds really fancy, Muskegon. too. Muskegon. In the town of Muskegon. <laughs> But no, yeah. seriously, this is a very, very tragic case that okay. I'm going to tell you about today. Um, the person that, the man who commits the murders that I'm going to share with you, his name is Bartley James Dobbin. All right, Bart. This is, I'm going to tell you right off the bat that this is a man that was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Okay. He was fully diagnosed. I thought that I would give you a little extra snippet and for those of of you that aren't in the trenches of the mental health field and don't know, I was going to share just a little bit about I paranoid schizophrenia. You, yes, I think you should. Just a, a few of the symptoms, just so you kind of know what mm-hmm. what's going on. So paranoid schizophrenia, this is a axis two. Did that sound? It did. Yep. <laughs> I, I keep saying axis. 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 A-X-I-S. Yep. Axis two. It's an axis two personality disorder. Some of the things that patients describe with this disorder, they describe life as a dark and fragmented world, a life marked by suspicion and isolation where voices and visions torment them on a daily waking nightmare. Mm. Common symptoms of paranoid schizophrenia include auditory disturbances, hearing things that are not real, even worse, not knowing what reality is. Yeah, that like, is worse. That is, that's mm-hmm. what I've witnessed and yep. with clients, yep. not with myself, no. just to clarify. Right, but yes. No, really, truly not knowing what reality is. And it is scary, I think, 
to all that witnessed that, like Correct. to the person and, and those around them. Yes. Like they really don't know what their reality is. Nope. Um, unexplained anger, emotional disconnectedness, severe anxiety and agitation, argumentative behavior, and violent tendencies. I once had a client stand in front of me and tell me that she was turning into the devil and then literally blinked her eyes and was like, see, I'm the devil. Why aren't you scared? Yeah. Because you're still just a little white girl standing in front of me, honey. I'm so sorry. It's mm. tragic. It to is. Witness. Another thing, and I, f- I find this one kind of interesting because a lot of times with paranoid schizophrenia, we see that they get really... Not everyone. I'm not, you know, saying everyone, but I've seen this a couple of times where they really get heavily into religion. Yes. And it's that grandiose, the thought of like, I have special powers or just really wrapped up in like extreme religious beliefs. Yes. And and f- even more so, too, I've seen frequently a fear that is based in religious beliefs. Like, yes. Like the devil is going to come up through the vents in my home. Yes. Or God is going to strike me dead when I walk, you know, through this particular doorway and things like that. Yeah. A lot of paranoia surrounding For religious sure. beliefs. And so this, this case I'm going to share with you very much has those components as well. Mm-hmm. He was very, very wrapped up with religion and with a combination of the paranoid schizophrenia, we just had a really, just a recipe for, for tragedy. Definitely. So Sounds like it. It's very similar to my case, too. Way to hit your sorry, microphone. My mimosa got, <laughs> got away from me a little bit. <laughs> oh, Okay, so um, just a, a few things that can, you know, there's no, like, specific known cause of schizophrenia. There's a right. few factors. There's a few things that can bring it on. Those are fetal malnutrition, stress in early childhood, sexual or physical abuse, older parental age, which I found that interesting. Yes, I was not aware of that yeah. one, actually. The use of psychoactive drugs during adolescence, mm-hmm. and that was it. That was on, all on my list. But yeah, so a few contributing factors to the onset of it, but there's no specific, like, this causes... I'm surprised that genetic factors are not listed in there because Um, we do know genetically you are. Oh, they were. Sorry. Okay. Okay. (laughs) There was a couple more on my list. Um, Family history of psychotic disorders and exposure to viral infection um, in the womb. I did know about that one as well. Yeah, that was on my assessment checklist that I used to have to give clients. Mm -hmm. But yeah, sorry, I had skipped ahead. There was a couple. But yes, genetics is definitely a factor. Uh, Mental health history in the family for sure. Okay, so after those little snippets, I just wanted Thank to kind of... Thank you for slapping some knowledge on it's us. It's what I do. It's I what like I it. do. But, so this is a little bit older case. It takes place in 1987. And like I said, the, the man's name is Bartley James Dobbin. He was only 27 okay. at the time. But he was married to his wife, Susan Dobbin. And they lived on the lovely shore of Lake Michigan. Oh. Um, they had two young children at the time, Two-year-old Bartley Joel Dobbin, so he had a junior, mm-hmm. and 15-month-old Peter David Dobbin. Peter David. Peter David. Very That's a religious name. Yeah, that is a biblical mm-hmm. name. Um, so Susan was actually pre- uh, pregnant with their third child as well at the time when everything happens. So the day I'm going to take you to is Thanksgiving Day of 1987. Oh. And this is, I'll just kind of give you a warning yeah. The events are going to, they're going to hurt your soul. Mm-hmm. So 
trigger warning. I'm going to start right out with what happens because, I mean, we'll get to the, the backstory of things that were going on leading up to this, but I don't, I don't think there was any, like, for Susan especially, any real suspicion of this, like, yeah. happening that day. Okay. So we're going right to that day. Okay. The couple, they Susan and Bartley, they had had some problems. And they had actually, Bartley had filed for divorce earlier in the year. But by Thanksgiving of 1987, they decided that they were going to work on the marriage, stay together. They sure. wanted to make it work. So they had plans that day. They were going to go to Bartley's mom's for dinner around 4 p.m. But before heading over to the dinner... Bartley said that he needed to stop at his place of work because his Bible, he had left his Bible in his locker there. And so he was like, I'd like to grab that. Now, just a little bit of backstory from what Bartley's mom says. He became very into religion around 16. So he was very heavy into Christianity and also really pushing his beliefs onto people. Okay. So... I get the impression, like, very preachy and, mm-hmm. you know, preaching the word of the Lord. Right. And really, really Spreading into the gospel. Yes. For 11 years at this point in time. And, you know, and I, I've read a couple articles that kind of indicate some different things. Coming from his mom, I'm going to trust that that was accurate. I read another one saying he wasn't as into it before. But so maybe spurts of the religion. And also, I'm going to tell you, I think it really depends on, too, when he was on medication or not. Oh, I'm sure. So um, a couple different variations of, of yeah. that. But he wanted to grab his Bible. He worked at the the Canon Muskegon Corp. There was a foundry. Uh, and so he was a janitor there for about nine years. But he was promoted eventually to what they called a foundry ladle operator. What that means is he was in charge of managing a vessel that purified and treated 10,000 pounds of melted iron. So he was in charge of the big ladle that would basically purify the liquid metal. I know this isn't accurate, but I'm just picturing a big cauldron and he's just stirring this, (laughs) (laughs) running a machine that's like stirring That's honestly what I picture too. (laughs) Like, Like he's just, yeah, managing this super... My impression, it was massive. I'm sure. It was big. That seems like a big responsibility. It does. It does. Um, I would never want to do that. No, I I prefer my cauldron smaller. Me too. Where I can manage. If I'm going to do a spell or something. Yes, yeah. It's got to be be practical. But no. So the the plant was closed for the holiday, but there was a security uh, security guard that was on duty. Okay. So... Um, the couple, they pull up as a family, they pull up to Cannon and Susan decides she's going to wait in the car. And Bartley was like, I would really like to take the boys in to show them where I work. Sure. They'd okay. never been there before. So he decides he's going to take them in with him. The security guard knew Bartley because he worked there. So sure. obviously there was no issues of him getting through. So Bartley took the boys back inside the plant and he was there for about 10 minutes altogether. And then he walks back by the security guard to leave. The security guard notices he's by himself and was like, what's going on? Yeah. You know, where's the kids? Right. And Bartley walks very calmly over to the security guard and he quotes, my boys are in the furnace. 
And the security guard's like, what? what? Like, did they fall in there? Like, what's going on? He very calmly says, no, I put them in there. Oh, my God. So at this point, Bartley is, you know, walking out of the plant, going to the car, and Susan is like, where's the boys? Of like, what happened? You were in there a few minutes. I will tell you that that moment made me really choked up when I was reading because thinking about mom sitting in the car with her husband that she obviously trusted to take the kids in. Right, right. It's Thanksgiving. They're on their way to dinner. This is a very normal thing. And then he comes. Yes, it's very. That's exactly, I think, why it got me is because it was a very normal thing. It's like, oh, I wanted to grab my Bible. Sure. You know. Long weekend. He wants to have his Bible with him. I'm just going to stop by work. I'll show the boys, you know. And she's it's just Thanksgiving waiting. Thanksgiving Day. Yes. So he comes back out saying this. He's not minimizing anything. He's not denying what he did. And he just completely said, normal tone everything. Yes. He just said, I put my boys in the furnace. I did it. Is that what he says to his wife as well? He does. He, he's There's wow. no denying any anything that he did this entire time. It's really, um, as you will see, it, it boils down to the, was he insane? Or was this intentional? Yes, yes. But he never denies what he does. He he did it very quickly. He came out and he told the security guard and he told Susan what he had done. So God, a furnace, a big furnace. Yes. I envision that this was probably such a just state of shock for the security guard and for Susan. I'm sure they were like questioning, did you seriously do, like, what are you talking about? Right. You know, because it was a few minutes. My brain literally can't go to that space. I know. I have no idea how one would respond to that. Also, I mean, do you, does he give details of, did one go first and then to be that other child? I am going to, yeah, we're going to get to, to the details that he does disclose. Okay. I don't know if I really want to know them, but... Yeah, it's it's, it's but I can't awful. leave. I'm strapped to You're this headset. You so. are in it. So obviously, at a certain point, the police are called because, like I said, I'm sure there was this period of shock where they're like, D- "Is he serious? What the right. f?" And he's acting so calm. Yes, and and I just I don't know. I always kind of put myself into these situations when, like, as a mom, you know, and I'm thinking that I mean, how could you even grasp that that was true? No. And at what point do you decide? Okay, maybe I need. To call the yes. police before, you know, do you look around the place first? Like, right? do you immediately call? I mean. Because you literally five minutes ago, your children were going into the, I don't you even know. know these people and I'm having a hard time, like, understanding. I you know? know. So, you know, like I said, my mind always goes to those moments. So I'm sure there was this period of like, are you freaking serious? Mm-hmm. Are you like, what did you like, do? Like, this isn't funny now. Where are they? Yeah. yeah. So the police were called, though, and when they arrive, they discovered Bartley did, you know, reveal what he had done. And he said that he took Bartley Joel and Peter David into the transfer ladle that he typically operated at work. The ladle was described as being suspended by cables. So, you know, I'm not sure exactly, like, if it was something you went down into. I'm just picturing this big spoon. When you keep saying ladle, man, I'm <laughs> picturing like, yes. a big spoon. I looked, I tried to look up some pictures because, like, a foundry, that kind of work, it's, I have no clue yeah. what it is. Yeah. It does it is look massive. like almost a big spoon. Like, it has a mm-hmm. pouring, like, the. Mechanism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm guessing it was 
really big, mm-hmm. um, to 10,000 pounds of a metal. Right. Um, so I'm guessing that they had to go in like down through it cause there was a lid, and, okay. but I'm not positive really. I mean, there's different variations. So I saw all kinds of pictures mm-hmm. and I'm not sure exactly what Which this looked w- like. Right. But he took the boys down into the ladle and this, this hurts me. He proceeded to play with them in there. Like he went down in there with them and he, he was playing like they were in a sandbox and he told them that the slag that was in the bottom, which I had to look up what that was. Cause I wasn't sure. Um, it's basically like the, when the metal is being treated and refined, it's like the, the sediment, the leftover sediment from okay. that. It's in the bottom of the, of the ladle. Yeah. And so he was telling them that it's sand and okay. they were going to play in it. And so he was like playing with them down in the, Oh my God. In the, in the, the sediment. They also call it the furnace. Um, so he was like playing with them in there for a couple minutes. This is like some Toy Story 4 vibes. Oh my God, I know. It's awful. So awful. So after a couple <sighs> minutes of playing with the boys, he then removes himself from the ladle. He shuts the lid, seals it, and then he t- proceeds to turn on the the furnace that would was used to melt the metals. He's going to melt it all. All that sediment that yes. melts. Yes. What the fuck? I know. I I know. So after he turned the burners on to the furnace, he calmly walks away. Like we're talking a matter oh, of minutes. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean, he was you said he was gone 10 minutes or so from the mm-hmm. he literally must have went straight in with the boys calmly, went to the ladle, opened it, played with them, you know, put them in and Acted like they were going to play in a sandbox or something. And probably just told him to stay there. He'd be right back. Yeah. And so if anything, the only piece that I try to remember is that they they didn't know what was coming and it was probably really fast. Yeah. Yeah. That is what I, because this case is emotional. So that's what I hang on to of like, it was fast. It was fast. Yeah. They didn't know. They thought they were playing with their dad. Yeah. Oh, it makes my stomach turn. I know. Rest in peace to those Poor Those little boys. Babies. What were their ages again? Bartley Jr. was two, and oh. Peter David was 15 months. So they were really little. Oh, my God. They're... Okay. I don't think you said that in the beginning, oh, did if you? I d- if I didn't, I apologize. I you meant to. You might have, and I, and I just didn't connect it yet, but that's yeah, they were really, little boys. really little yeah. to be like, let me show them around my work, even. I know. I probably even would have been like, they're not going to know what I they're was, looking I at. I was thinking that, too, and if I didn't mention ages, I apologize, but I was thinking that, too, especially for the 15-month-old boy. It's like, okay. I mean, I'm sure, obviously, okay, no she wonder, wasn't thinking that. No but. wonder why they stayed there, because they couldn't have gotten out right. by themselves anyway. Right. They probably, you know, were just like, okay, dad's coming back. We're playing in here. You know, who knows? Uh, who knows what that moment They're was? babies. They're babies. Oh, my God. And you're right. They didn't know anything that was going on. So that's at least something. But holy cow. That's what cow. I keep reminding myself of. It's like they ha- they couldn't have even grasped no. what was going to no. happen. And it was fast. <sighs> the coroner did examine the remains. It was indicated that the boys did die from asphy- asphyxiation. Mm-hmm. And basically they suffocated in heat that climbed to 1,300 degrees. Mm-hmm. Now that you know what happened, and like I said, it's just so, it was such a. That is a horrific way to horrible die. Horrible thing that 
he calmly did in the moment. Like yeah. I said, it was Thanksgiving. They decided to work things out. So in that moment, I'm confident Susan was not thinking anything like that. Right. But I'm going to give you the backstory of the things that had happened kind of leading up to this day and what Bartley was basically going through. Every time you call him Bartley, I just want to call it's him. It's such a different name. I want to call him Fartley <laughs> because I'm a 15-year-old teenage boy on the inside. It is a different name. I've never heard that name before. And obviously, mental illness or not, I'm not a big fan of him. So uh, Fartley it is in my mind. <laughs> it's official. Ugh. So before I tell you all the details, I will tell you that Bartley was arrested and charged with murder. He was committed to the Center for Forensic Psychology in Ypsilanti to await. Basically, they um, wanted him assessed and they wanted to determine if, they, if there was going to be a trial. Uh-huh. So he was ordered to be held in that facility until they could do those, make yeah. those determinations. Probably because of the way he's being so calm and admitted. I yes. mean, he didn't try to hide this at all. He did not. So as the police are starting to investigate some of the background, they do discover that, like I had told you, Bartley was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Yeah. He also did have a history of hospitalization. Okay. In 1985, he had a significant psychotic break and he was in the hospital for months. Wow. Because of that. So that was just two years earlier. It, it was. Okay. Yeah. Dr. Moses R. Everett is the one that completed the first evaluation on Bartley while he was being held in the um, facility in Ypsilanti. He determined that Bartley did not meet the statutory criteria for incompetency to stand trial. Sure. So he, at the time, because you're going to see like a fluctuation with, with Bartley. I'm sure. At the time, he presented. You know, with that evaluation as, okay, he's competent to stand trial. He can be in trial. That's different. That doesn't mean that you're insane. Right. It just means you can. You can stand trial. Yep, you can understand and go through the trial process. Now, after that assessment happened, Bartley's condition declined dramatically after that first assessment. So they requested another evaluation to be done. This time, Dr. Harley V. Stock, who was the director of evaluation of the evaluation unit at the the facility, he completed the assessment this time. This is a job for the director. Then we're bringing the director Uh in. I was thinking that too. I'm like, what was it? The new guy that did it the first time, (laughs) right? Right. They're like, he's like, no, no, I'll take (laughs) it from here. The director's coming in. So this time, after the assessments completed, it was determined that Bartley was incompetent to stand trial. However, he did note with appropriate medication, he should be able to regain full competency. Yep. Okay. That makes sense. So that assessment actually took place in April of 1988. And a few months later, Bartley was assessed again a third time in July. And he was again determined fit to stand trial. So we got two out of three here. Yeah. Yep. Well, and one was saying, yes, with medication, he'll be okay. Then they waited a couple of months while he was on the medication yes. and did it. All of that's very appropriate yeah. and normal. And so he he was good to go at that point. Now, this did take about two years for I'm all sure. of these evaluations. Definitely. So the trial didn't take place until about 1989. Yeah. A total of two years to, sure. to you know complete all of this. It took some time. It still takes time today. Yeah, I was I was thinking that too. I was like, that's not too different today. No, really, we really do need to come 
farther in that regard. Court things take so long. It's, it's awful. And I get it's, it. It's about not having the resources, though. That, and I think, I mean, if you have a substantial case, I get it. You need the time to prep. You mm-hmm. need a couple months. But when we get into years, it's like, yeah. wow. Yeah. And you need time to do these, like for him, to do these evaluations of let's see if the medication stabilizes him as it's supposed to. Right. So when the trial finally comes around, obviously, like I said, the facts were there. He never denied what he did. Right. He was very honest from the beginning. So the court knew that he had he had murdered his children. Mm-hmm. That was a fact. But the big debate was, did he do this Yep. intentionally knowing what he did? Or was he mentally, truly mentally unstable? Right. We're looking at prison. the difference between prison time or an institution. We are. And some of the things that I read about the possible sentence options, which I will get to, it was mind-blowing, mm-hmm. the, the options. Mm-hmm. Like, if he was not found guilty, he could have possibly been free. For after sure. If he was determined um, to be treated and symptom-free, mm-hmm. he could have possibly walked free. That is what happens all the time, Amber. It's when you're so deemed crazy. insane and then you go through all the treatment and eventually a psychiatrist releases you and says, you're healed. Let's hope you stay on your meds the rest of your yeah. life. So at the trial, it was imperative that the jury and the court heard about Bartley's life prior to what happened. And so from the prosecution, the court heard that Bartley was under a lot of pressure at the time. He was only 27. He had a new home, a new wife, two children. On the, and, and one she on the was way. pregnant, right? Yeah. yeah. His life really began to unravel in 1985. Like I said, he had these religious beliefs that were pretty strong, but 1985 was really the significant decline for him. And that's when he was in the institution, yes. right? Yeah. yeah. The court also heard that in 1985, this is when signs of possible unsafety, I would say, okay. began to, to reveal themselves. Lots of paranoia starting to come about. This would have been about the time that his wife was pregnant with their first child. Yes. Junior. Yeah. The family had taken a vacation in 1985, and he, Bartley, became very, very paranoid that someone was out to get the children, Hmm. which led to them. He basically took his family on this 80-mile-an-hour joyride around this, like, twisty, turny road. And he was trying to get away uh, from whatever was trying to hurt the children. So super, super paranoid. You know, and that was, I mean, they could have all died right then. Yeah. His reasoning is that God had told him, and gave him a sign that the children were in danger. Bruh, God didn't do that. There you, thank you. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bruh. Bruh. No. Now, after that happened, that is when Bartley went to the, psychi- the psychiatric unit for the first time. I wondered. Okay. Yep. That's making sense. Yeah. So he was prescribed psychotropic medication at mm-hmm. that time. And then he was released from the hospital. Several months, though, is a significant stay in a, you know, now in the it 80s. It absolutely is. We could be talking different story, but like, you know, today, for today, mm-hmm. that's like a significant a, stay. It's like 72 hours today. Yes. And you really have to push for more than sure that. Sure do. So. That's with someone advocating for you. Yes. You really have to justify. And availability of beds. So he was there for two months and then he was released with medication and he was able to t- return to work after he was discharged. This was still at the foundry, by the way. Like, he had worked there most of his life. Yeah. You said nine years. Yeah. So, I mean, and he was he's only, only 27. 27. <laughs> yeah. 
Now, he returned to work, and his colleagues recognized that he was different. Um, not the same. He was described as like a super friendly guy when he was well. Everybody liked him. Oops. But he also had like a, I would say maybe a vulnerable side where he could possibly be taken taken advantage of. Okay. It sounds like a lot of people gave him a hard time at work. Kind of like it's not that they it's disliked the 80s, him. I bet he picked seen, on him. Mm-hmm. Probably bullied for his mental illness. And this was, honestly, this is so sad to me. When he returned to work, some of his coworkers had found out he had been institutionalized. Mm -hmm. And they would put signs, like tape them to his back that said, kick me, I'm crazy. Oh, my God. That is horrible. Uh, Come on, people. People in the 80s. What a time. If you weren't Madonna, you suck. Do you remember the kick me signs? Yes. Yes, I do. It was like a classic staple of our childhood it really was and it's not okay like no now looking back no. I'm like that was so mean I didn't ever put them on anyone but of course I, I did. did oh you my, were the like, dick like my brother and okay stuff. yeah your you brother know, doesn't count your brother's like a hot second younger than you you guys right I for sure you was did the bigger bully sister but yeah but no I thought I when I read that it was like that is so cruel and some of the stuff that people just did and thought was funny it right it was really horrible yeah and this yeah. this is one of them so about eight months prior to Thanksgiving things were really starting to to spiral even further out of control like I said the paranoia was really starting to increase dramatically He was at this point convinced Susan was cheating on him and he believed that she was using her body language as signals to other men, like to draw them in. Oh, yeah. This is very standard. He wasn't only paranoid about Susan, but he started to become just paranoid about life in general. Like he would see plate numbers on um, trucks and or registration numbers and he would think that they were phone numbers so he would stop at various pay phones and try to call the numbers oh goodness yeah it, it was getting pretty bad um, he believed that his family was in great danger like I said and that started to increase he believed that laser beam laser beams were being pointed toward the house and trying to to harm the children mm-hmm. like someone was targeting them mm-hmm. oh now, he was taking medication for a while when he was released. I think he was still having problems. I I w- would wonder now if he just maybe didn't have the right med or the right dose. I was just going to suggest that. But yeah. he um, did stop taking it altogether, and then shit really got Really real. went south? Yes. Yeah. So whatever the medication was doing, it was helping somewhat. Right. And then when he you know, stopped, it was like. And probably not a medication that you, you can't stop psychotropics just cold turkey. No. Either. So, so that probably exag- exaggerated the symptoms as well and if this, he just stopped at cold turkey. Right. And this was about the time that he started to really go extreme with the religious beliefs. Okay. Now, he started going to this church. It was in early 1987. The preacher was kind of known as a crazy preacher so i'm not really sure like how legit the church was mm. or what what was going on there but he really got heavily involved with this church oh the, if if you're a patreon my bonus episode for february we're going to talk about crazy churches all right if you're not a patreon crimecuriouspatreon.com yeah you won't want to miss that yeah, it's it's a good one but this man's name the preacher his name was rude vaughn We'll talk about him. We will Ru- talk his, about his him. His name is Rude Vaughn. Yes, it's R O O D Vaughn. 
Rude Von. It's just I don't shady know why in I general. I want to say it like that, but yeah, it really is. Like it, he was born to be a bastard. It gives me the impression of, of the times and with the name. I'm picturing like turtlenecks. Yes, with a leisure suit of some kind. Yes, but it's probably a dicky. It's, it's not cool. even a you know full what? turtleneck. You're right. He, he can't afford a full for, one. It's the foreskin of a turtleneck. That's all it is. You're so right. But I just, it just, he, I picture like a sleazy man. Yes, most definitely. Kind. His name is Root Von. Yes. <sighs> so after gold he, chain hanging oh, from that dicky. Oh, you know there's a gold chain. Maybe the tinted glasses yes, of some definitely. kind. Adds a, adds a bit of mystery. And you know there's oil Mr. in that Vaughn. hair. That <laughs> hair is oiled. It's greased. What's back. left of it? No. Right. <laughs> no. The reason I am being so brutal is because I feel... I just questioned some of the things, and we, like I said, we'll get to that. Some of the things that he did. Sure. So after he he joined the church, he began to anoint the children's rooms with oils. He was quoting scripture like through all hours. He really believed the children were in danger. Yeah. Like I said, and so, so he, he started, really thought he was protecting them. I think so. Mm-hmm. I do. Now, about a week before Thanksgiving, Bartley had went to the home of one of his coworkers. Arthur Sazat, because he wanted to talk about religion. I bet that co-worker was like, oh, shit. For sure. (laughs) Bartley's here. You know he was like, oh, kick me. I'm crazy guy is here, honey. I'm sorry. God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, To talk about religion. Yeah. Oh. He was vocal about his religious beliefs all the time. that's what I'm gathering. Mm -hmm. So we had a... He was there until 4 a.m. talking about things. Oh, no. Like I said, this was a week prior. Arthur, learn how to shut it down. You got a military crawl to the bedroom and pretend you're not home. That's right. <laughs> not that I know. Right. Never done that before. <laughs> so at that time, Bartley shared he was convinced that Judgment Day was coming. He believed that his children would die because God kills Jezebel's children. Oh. Now, a little backstory on that. Rude Vaughn had been, you know, spending time with Bartley and had basically, I kind of look at it as like just fueling the fire a little bit. Okay. About his wife being a Jezebel. Yes. Yeah. That he Mm -hmm. really kind of convinced Bartley that Susan was cheating and that they would call her Jezebel. Oh, my God. The two of them. So I feel okay. So he is, he is heightening his already paranoid state. I absolutely feel that's what he did. I would, this is not okay, slick back, Dicky. No, Randy Quaid from um, Christmas Vacation just hit. Yes, that's, that's what we've got. That's yes. what it is. Yeah, yeah. We, we have a cousin Eddie situation on our hands. Yeah, for sure. Barley also believed that any children that were coming up missing, they were being burned at the foundry. Like he was convinced and he was sharing this with his neighbor. Can you imagine being the neighbor? No, until like, 4 a.m. I just want to go to bed. In your own effing home. That's. It sounds like the worst night ever. I'm not going to lie. Yes. Do not sign me up for that. Again, no. learn some social skills to kick someone out yep. of your house, We got to just not open the door sometimes. Ooh. The prosecution argued that Bartley wanted his children dead so he could get back at Susan because he was convinced that yeah, Susan was she's cheating. she's a Jezebel. Yes. They argued that he, yes, he was mentally ill, there was no question, but that he knew exactly what he was doing mm-hmm. that day. Okay. The court allowed both the defense and the prosecution to obtain expert witnesses, which kind of makes me chuckle because obviously both 
uh, witness on both sides it's, testified. Oh my gosh. So our cases are so similar are and they? I do the same thing. Like you got to remember, and I'm going to say this on Thursday's case too. You have to remember the defense and the prosecution both hire expert witnesses. Right. So, which is why the jury has the ability to determine whether or not they buy into what those expert witnesses are saying. Exactly. Cause you had two different opinions. Um, the prosecution obtained a witness, Dr. Abraham Helpern, and he- Dr. Abraham Helpern. Helpern. Help is right in his name. It's just a fancy name altogether. He reviewed Bartley's mental health history, and he testified that, of course, Bartley was mentally ill, but believed he was completely aware of what he was doing. Yeah. The doctor quoted that he did not believe Bartley, and I quote- Lacked the capacity, let alone substantial capacity, to either appreciate the wrongfulness of his conduct or to conform his conduct to the requirement of the law. Now, the other side of this, Bartley's attorneys found an expert, Dr. Lynn Blunt, who disagreed. She stated, if I may be blunt. Right? Isn't that such a perfect name? There's a lot of interesting names in this game. I know. Um, She quoted, because of the mental illness, he was unable to appreciate the wrongfulness of his conduct and conform his conduct to the requirements of the law. Right. So she's literally contradicting what Dr. Help said. Yes. Dr. Help. Yeah. I love it. Bartley's mother testified at the trial. She stated that when he was on medication, he was able to function pretty well. Mm -hmm. But when he wasn't, Combined with the obsession with religion getting out of control, he was just a completely different person. Yeah. Now, like I said, he was known in the neighborhood. He was known by friends, described as a really good dad, Mm -hmm. described as a really good guy. Mm -hmm. But it's like, as soon as those meds were gone or whatever happened in 19... uh, Sorry, whatever happened in 1985 to really, you know, that psychotic break, like, Mm -hmm. he was not the same after that. Yeah, that that was the point. The breaking right. point, literally. Bartley's mother also testified to many family gatherings that they would have that were kind of ruined from Bartley's rants about religion. Oh, I bet. Can you imagine? <laughs> just like the neighbor. I'm just picturing this situation, and it's aka yes. awkward. There was like a um, Easter egg hunt that he broke up, oh, no. you know, like for the kids and just stuff like They're that. They're not really from the it's, Easter yes. Bunny. <laughs> The Easter Bunny is evil. Yeah. You know, just stuff probably like that. I'm guessing that he would be constantly be First doing to of the all, family. rabbits don't even lay eggs. I hope he said that. <laughs> I do. I hope he said that. <sighs> Bartley's brother testified that he firmly believed that the crazy preacher, Root Vaughn, is the one that put the, the idea in Bartley's head of soul cleansing by fire. Okay. So um, he is the root of Vaughn evil. He is. That was good. You're creative. I love it. Now, I tried to look into this because when I'm reading this, I'm like, how did this man not, you know, how does he not get sentenced in all of this? Right. Or I, like dispreachered or whatever right. it's called. Like, can we dispreachered, take, can yes. we take his preacher's license away? I didn't see anything that he, you know, there were no charges. Um, he adamantly stated that Bartley's religious beliefs were already extreme and over the top before they had met and started I'm working sure. together. He had nothing to do to exaggerating it at right. all. Right, but I'm just I'm like, sure. from what I can gather, he did. Yeah, yeah. And at the very least, not recognize that he was dealing with a mentally ill person and exactly. proceed 
appropriately. Because like I said, we see this with schizophrenics, you know, sometimes with the religion thing. Yeah. It's kind of a thing sometimes. It is. It's very prevalent for them. Yes. So maybe you're right. Maybe Randy Quaid and his dick, he didn't know that he was, you know, encouraging this mentally ill person and like really building it up for him. I would like to believe that Rude Vaughn did not believe or know what the outcome of this was going to be. I would like to think that. But let me play devil's advocate. Is it at any point in time ever appropriate for your preacher, if you're seeking counsel with him, to carry on with inappropriate nicknames for your wife that you're bringing to him saying, for them to call her Jezebel as like a nickname, that is inappropriate. That's no longer counsel, in my opinion. I'm going to strongly agree with you there. Highly inappropriate. I think he very much was enjoying his position of power. But I think he enjoyed the way that Bartley hung on his gospel. Oh, yeah. And the power, the position of power that he it, was it probably in. fed Rude's ego, ego. as well. Yes. I, I agree with you. Uh, I really do. I think in today's time, someone would be charged with doing something like that. Yeah. I think. I and, mean, and if I were him, after hearing that, oh, my God, he burned his two children into in a furnace. Yeah, I'd want to remove myself from that situation, too. Yeah. And be like, I was just speaking in scripture. I, I yeah. didn't tell him to do that. I mean, I'd want to. Yeah, I'd be backing that bus up too, buddy. Heck yes. But like I said, I couldn't find anything indicating that he was charged I'm with sure anything. Not. You're right. But Bartley's brother did really believe he, he is the one that really influenced mm-hmm. this to get as extreme as it did with the beliefs. Certainly was not helping his mental illness. No. So the trial took a total of not, of nine days. He was found guilty on two counts of murder, but mentally ill. They did reject the argument from the defense that he should be found not guilty by reason of, of insanity. insanity. Okay, good. So he was sentenced to prison, life in prison, without the possibility of parole for his crimes. He was also ordered that while he was in prison, he had to go through treatment. Mm-hmm. Like I had told you, I just found this mind-blowing. One of the articles indicated if he had been found not guilty, he would have had to spend a minimum of 60 days in the Center for Forensic Psychiatry. After the 60 days, he basically, if he was determined fit, he could have been released Mm -hmm. back into Mm -hmm. public. Which are things that the jury knows while they're deliberating and has to make this decision. Correct. Yes. And, And it's hard. I mean... The debate here is that yes, with medication, he was right. he f- could function well. But there is no guarantee on his own that w- he would that take he it. will continue. And historically, schizophrenic patients do not, after a while of being stable and when their life is really good, they feel that they do not need that medication anymore. And statistically speaking, they stop taking it. I feel like as a juror, and this is just my personal opinion, as a juror. I would look at it of, yes, this man is probably insane because of his mental illness. But because of his mental illness, which we know there's no cure for, it does not go away. It is an unfortunate part of this man from this point forward for the rest of his life. Okay. Is it better for him to be in prison where his meds are monitored, where we know he's not a threat to society or even himself mostly? as well or do we 
put him in an institution for until a psychiatrist says that he's stable enough and release him back out to public. We know what will eventually happen. His psychosis has broken to the point where he justified murder. It can happen again. Yeah. That's just my personal opinion when we have insanity cases like this. No, I think that's truly what they did have to consider. Yeah. So the defense, after after he was convicted, the defense did appeal his conviction. They objected to the prosecution's witness that basically indicated that um, he was competent to stand trial. Okay. Um, they objected because they said that the expert's opinion was based heavily on the on, only the competency evaluations that were already done. Mm-hmm. Now, the appeals court, they did end up agreeing that, yeah, that probably shouldn't have been included. So they they did. They were going to grant this appeal. However, at the Supreme Court level, they ended up reversing that. Yeah, rejecting it. Mm -hmm. Because they basically indicated that you, you know, an expert testimony, they can use historical data to, you know, form their own opinion. Right. And that's okay. And how do you think that we get these assessments? Right. We develop these assessments from historical data. Right. Like, we do have to use some sort of measurement tool. So, yeah, they were like, yeah, nice try, but... Yeah. So they reversed that. The guilty convictions were put back in full place. Okay. And so uh, Bartley does remain in prison to this mm-hmm. day. Okay. Oh, he's still alive. He is still alive. Okay. Um, I'm sure it's very hard for like his mother, for his family to accept, although at the same token, he did murder their family members as well. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, yeah. I mean, that's grandchildren and, and nephews. And yeah, wow. he, um, Bartley is he is still alive. He is in the Richard A. Handlin Correctional Facility um, in Michigan, and he remains he's described as an exceptional inmate and because he's medicated and I he's was fine say, they control his medication yeah, he has to take his meds he was i don't know the extent of the treatment he had to do yeah but he's great in prison that's you know he is still there that's, that's unfortunate no right in but terms of you know but it might have been the safest thing for society and himself yeah because imagine the chaotic life that he could have been leading without those medications in the hell he'd be living in, not knowing what's real and what's not. Exactly. Now I'm going to tell you the astonishing part, kind of ending part to all of this. Now maybe some won't find this astonishing, but... So after Bartley was convicted, his wife Susan did choose to fully forgive him. Um, She really wanted him to be released from prison. She wanted him to be able to come home. And and she wanted to continue living with him as his wife. She quoted, This was not the Bart that I knew. He wasn't taking his medication. That was it. That was it. We may end up having to move away from here, but I want him home with me. One of my friends told me that if I stopped the divorce, I would have the whole community against me. But I couldn't live with myself if I did. People who knew him well will understand. Susan was actually interviewed by Oprah after all this happened, okay, I'm not going to lie, it was mildly entertaining because, so Oprah does like the intro, you know, they're showing pictures yeah, of, you know, and she's kind of telling what happened with Bartley and then it like shifts over to her on camera and I, I can see Oprah's judging eyes <laughs> sure, looking at like, Susan. For sure. Like girlfriend, like, 
what? Okay. She's like, I know that we're, it says in the Bible to forgive, but please tell us, like, how how could you, like, fully forgive this man? And uh, <laughs> even Oprah. like Right. Even right. Oprah's like, I, I don't know about this. Oprah's like, I give people free shit all the time, yeah. even though they might have blasted me on social media. But <laughs> right. I, I'm a good person. Yeah, I'm a good person. But tell me how you, you fully forgave. And Susan does stand by in the interview that he was a great man and that he was truly mentally ill. And that's how, you know, and I get it from her. If that is what helped her to find peace with her children being murdered. Okay. But yeah, she wanted the relationship to continue. She wanted, you know, she did forgive him. And, you know, Oprah even asked Susan too. She's like, so were there some signs leading up to like, were there things that were happening to indicate and Susan does say this, and this is kind of why I feel like these cases are important to talk about. Susan talks about the car ride where he was going 80 miles an hour. She talks about him being paranoid and, you know, all these things that he did. But she also said she didn't understand mental health, mental illness at all. Definitely not. So I, there's no it doubt. It was a taboo subject for a long, right. long, long time. So I fully wholeheartedly believe Susan had no idea that yeah. this could happen. She you can't never thought see that. mental illness. I mean, in we can look back now of what we know and say, no, you can definitely see mental illness. Him driving erratically 80 miles an hour sure. was. But not understanding it then, yeah. you don't know. And, and even if the concerns were there, she probably couldn't ever fully grasp the level that it was going to go to. Definitely. I don't so, blame her one bit. No. And to a point, I understand the forgiveness and that need for her own soul. I The astonishing part for me is the, I'd like him to be out so that we can regain a uh, relationship. Mm -hmm. That I would struggle with because yeah. you are still the person who took my two babies right. away from me. Right. So that's the astonishing part for me. I mean, I'm, I've, Thank God, not in this situation. Hope I never am. So I can't judge her, but I I personally don't know. I don't think I could do that. I so definitely that would be the biggest struggle too. Now, I will tell you that after, I think the, the interview happened with Oprah like shortly after all of this unfolded. But in 1992, she did end up filing for divorce. Okay. And she did divorce him. Mm -hmm. Tragically, though, Susan did pass away in 1992 as well. Did so she, she must have in filed. In 1992? Wow. So just a horribly sad case all the Good way around. Heavens. So she had his third baby. She must have. And, and I didn't. He, does, er, he or she does not have a family. Parents. No. Isn't that so sad? Dear God. Nothing Sorry to like kick us, all of you. Kicking us in the nuts while we're down. I Thanks. Know. I really did just drop kick all of you, and I apologize for that. Yeah, so that's that's the the case Whoa. of paranoid schizophrenic. Well, uh, hang on for Thursday because you're going to hear some similarities, but mine's actually a female. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's going to be it's it's we're bringing you an interesting week, and we didn't even do it on purpose. No, like, that this I do think is a tragic case of mental illness, but I think that prison is the best. W way for him to I, I be mean, able to the risk is so great to have someone it is you know out in society isn't willing to take their medication and be out in society and like we said yeah. i mean if if he t took his meds and had someone monitor him monitoring him could he function yes but yep. the risk is so great, so great with him not because taking his psychosis has broken to the point where he's committing murder as a justification for his paranoia so yeah or as part of his paranoia so no 
So that's so that's do we, the story. So we really think that he thought he was cleansing their soul with fire. I think so. I think he really did. He never um, says like specifically why. Why? Like, yeah. Um. You know, I didn't. I didn't catch just much. that God told him to do it, and he was yes. cleansing by fire. I didn't see many like follow up things where he spoke much about what he did afterwards. Okay, I saw some pictures from the trial. I mean, he appears to be emotional. Maybe mm-hmm. there was some remorse once he was medicated and realized what oh, he I did. Bet. Yeah, certainly um, that would be difficult to live with. And I was going to point out too that you know I do agree that he was having a psychotic break because he didn't try to hide it even a little no, bit. No, he didn't. Um, this one, it just sucks. It's horrible what it he is. did. And you know I'm the first one to not jump on the bandwagon, but this one I do, and I'm like, I get it. Yeah. I get yeah. how it happened. This is mental illness. And it's just so freaking sad. Mental illness at its scariest and why we it's so important to have people in the mental health field, to have access to mental health services. This is it, people. Yeah. This is why. And there's such a high burnout rate for that industry because there aren't enough of us. So no, if you're not. young and impressionable, get out there and become a therapist. Get into the mental health field. For sure. I mean, and like I said, when I I mean, when I say I get it, I'm not saying like I'm not justifying I what know. he did. Oh, I know that at absolutely. All. I'm just saying like I understand how this happened is so freaking This sad. is much different than so tragic. Someone who's getting off on serial killing. Would you like a, a brain bath? I want the bathiest of the brain baths, please. This one, um, I don't know if it's going to cleanse you oh, very much, right. but it is This is, is a mud funny. bath? It's like one of those it's more of a, detox mud baths? It's more of a poop uh, story. Oh, great. <laughs> I was close. Mud, poop. Oh, so my cousin Tara actually sent me this because um, she knows we're, we've asked for things. Yes. You know, send us brain baths. Please do. Crimecurious at yahoo.com. Yes. And so she sent this. And it's really funny to me with, you know, the Super Bowl's coming up. I'm sure you're watching. Of course, you know. Um, I'm not watching. I will be tuning in for the halftime show to see me some Mary J. Blige. And that's about and it. And Eminem. And Eminem. But that's it. Yeah, I'm not okay. watching. I don't care yeah. about football. But um, so the story she sent me, it says Twitter gets cheeky over Super Bowl contest offering cash for poop pics. <laughs> this is an article <laughs> from the Huff Post. It says Tushy, a bidet company, is offering ten thousand dollars to the best post Super Bowl poop photo sent on what it calls Super Bowl Monday. Oh. My God. And I cannot no. believe this is a thing. They are soliciting for pictures of people's day after Super Bowl poops. Yes. It says on Wednesday, Tushy tweeted that its Super Bowl contest will award $10,000 to the best post Super Bowl poop sent on what it's dubbing Super Bowl Sunday. No. I will show you. There's Tushy Bidet posting their tweet, and it says, We're serious. You could win $10,000 if you send us your post-big game poop on Super Bowl, Super Bowl Monday. Bonus points if you tell it what tell us what food it used to be. No! I can't okay. with this. I First can't. of all, who is the intern that has to scurvy through and all pick these the winner? pictures? Someone has that job, you guys. Oh, Tushy Bidet. I can't believe that... I, I'm picturing their team sitting around like, how can we how can, boost, you know, promote? Oh my God, fucking millennial. Sh- shit picks. This, right. This, we need shit picks. This was an entire meeting team room full of young kids just like, all right, let's. 
Come on, people. <laughs> let's get our brains moving. Let's brainstorm. How yeah. do we do it? And they those, they called on this dude who's hungover from the day before and just needs to shit so bad. And he's like, I've got it. <laughs> this is it. This is it. Tushy bidet. Poop Solicit contest. for poop pics. And the, the tweets kill me. It's just like, it's like a normal contest, but they're asking for poop pics. Another one says, post, post your poop on the TL and tag us and use hashtag Tushy Super Bowl to enter. <laughs> if you're poop shy, shoot us a DM. Okay, I was going to say, you can, read you the do, can you do this privately? Because how many, oh my God, on Monday when you're scrolling through your feed, you guys, there's going to be so many people <laughs> entering this contest. Beware on Monday, the 14th. <laughs> That you could be unsuspectingly scrolling through expecting to see your friend's adorable kids on Valentine's Day and instead you get their epic shit full of hot wings and french fries. Yeah. And nachos and beer. I would not want to be the judge of this contest. Oh my it's God. so gross. So you want to know the winner is going to have a thing of corn in it. Oh, it's going to be pro- a corn right. turd. From some corn chips. Um, they also, it says Toshi's social media team was sure to note that the contest does not start until next week. So there's another tweet that says, please do not send your poop pics now. <laughs> we're going to draw they the were line. probably rolling in early. For sure. For sure. <laughs> um, stop. We are not ready for the oh. premature poops. And so people had retweeted. Re- retweeted it saying, I can't believe I'm raising a child in a world where this exists. Right. They are begging for pictures of people's poop. You, you yeah. know, our generation would send them as like a joke. Like, here's the shock and awe just in a group chat to tick, you know, make people laugh, like yeah. gross people out, whatever. Now we're just putting it out into the universe. No. Tushy Super Bowl Contest Monday. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> that was created by a 22-year-old. By the time everybody hears this, the Super Bowl will be over, though. So we'll have to see... You know, that's a good point. We can reveal the winner. I am of so, the contest. I'm so beyond myself. Right I know. Now. I cannot. I cannot even believe that this is a thing. But don't even play like you've never had a poop so impressive that you've wanted to share it with someone. Because we've <laughs> all been there. We've all been like that was so incredible. Yeah. But now we're really at the place where a company actually wants it and you could win cold hard cash that's a decent amount of money yeah it is to win just for taking a, a shit and sending a picture just for eating horribly on sunday and then taking a picture of it on monday i think my favorite part is the tweet of like please do not send do not, them now not now we don't want your beer shits yeah, now we like want them after monday. super bowl okay february monday. 14th also go Rams and by the time people hear this I could be sounding really stupid right now because maybe the Bengals won I don't know you don't even know the teams that were in the Super Bowl no no I'm just going to be watching Mary J (laughs) turning it back Uh, off maybe some snacks you know just for myself let me tell you that the the quarterback for the Rams is Matthew Stafford he used to be the quarterback for the Lions our home NFL team so a lot of go team. A lot of Michigan people are rooting for the Rams because he was our quarterback, but unfortunately the Lions franchise could not do shit with him. So he went to the Lamb the Lambs. He went to, he went the, to Rams. the Rams. <laughs> the Rams. And he's done wonderfully. So Wonderful. Backstory. Go now team. you know. Right. Yay, sports. <laughs> <laughs> but there you have it. You probably want to shower after this brain bath instead of feeling cleansed. A little but bit. And also, the contest is yeah, there. Now I want to follow 
afterwards. I kind of want to follow Tushi Bidet on Facebook, I mean, on uh, socials just to see what the rest of their it's ironic company to me is because like. I don't want to see the pictures, but I also kind of want to know. I who do want to know who wins. I don't like, want to see the photo, but I do want to know who wins and why. Like, what was the winning Determining factor? Determining factor. Yes, that's what I'm curious about, too. We'll follow up. We got to follow up with we the will. Tushy Bidet. We will. This is like a free advertisement for them right <laughs> really now. Is. For all five of our listeners. No, I'm just kidding. See, you know, maybe it worked. It, that's that's, what's that's true. Well done, Tushy Bidet. Oh, that... Mm-hmm. Wow. Speaking of socials, follow us on all the socials, you guys. Thank you so much recently for the lovely comments. We've been getting so much so love and we respond to them. Don't know if you guys notice that. We love to get them. Um, we like interacting with our audience. And so and it, it's important to us. So thank you so much for doing that and keep them coming. And if you have case suggestions, message us on our socials or crimecariesatyahoo.com. Oh, and don't send us poop pics. Please. Please. No. Like no. that's not what we were trying to. That imply. in itself is a crime. Yep. <laughs> and yep. No. That we won't cover. <laughs> if you do, we will post them with your full oh, we name. Will. We I will know, for Charnel sure. Charnel can get access to your address, so I I will post your information. <laughs> no poop bits for us. Oh, oh good god. Stuff. All good right. Stuff. Until Thursday, everyone. You take care. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Bye bye.